informative, thought-provoking, factually correct. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to This Podcast is None of Those Things, starring Brian and Elliot. Coming to you from the Dirty Dina studio in Pasadena, Texas, here we go. Welcome to our newest episode of This Podcast is None of Those Things. Brian here, just doing a quick intro solo. The next two episodes are an interview that Elliot and I did with Crystal Bolden, the writer and director of the movie Avander, which was Elliot's acting debut. Sit tight, enjoy, and... We will have all the information to see Vander on the Facebook page and also in the description of the podcast episode. So, Crystal, this is going to be my my attempt to be a quasi-journalist. Uh, real talk, it's not going to work out well. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. We all got to try. I got to start somewhere, so go ahead. <laughs> so, I saw you're, you're from Ohio. I did look at your Facebook page a little bit. Oh, you've been seeing me going off about everything. I like that. I, I did. And, and <laughs> yeah, it's a bad time. I'm usually a nice person, but I've been very not nice. I don't know. I, I saw a lot. <laughs> I saw a lot of stuff that was, um, you know, you speak you speak wise ass well, and I I, I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for appreciating my wise assness. Most people don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you found you found the right audience here. I saw you're an Eagles fan. I am, and like literally, the organization you? is terrible. It's terrible now. Like I don't know what happened. It like mirrors what happened to Texas. Like it was good, and then all of a sudden the. The truth came out and I was like, oh my gosh, like nobody knows what they're doing. I, I would like to offer you a chance now to join the side of good and right and um, become a Steelers fan. <laughs> I <Three>. cannot do it. <laughs> I can't do it, man. I'm just like these Texans. I have to keep rolling with stuff that does not work. So. <laughs> wow. wow. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Hey, like, like, well, you can always like uh, support home. I mean, you got the Browns. I know. I I love what the Browns are doing, and I'm I, I really, really wish they had been able to beat the Chiefs, honestly, because I was like really like on that whole kind of like Cinderella ride, and then it just kind of ended with just bad defense. So right. Well, they can get JJ Watt, you know. Because the Texans just gave up the ghost on that. They didn't even offer to, like, they you know. They didn't even try. I mean, like, you you're not going to get nothing for that? Like, all right. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah. thing is with the Texans, they had a chance when they still had Kubiak as a coach. They got rid of him, and it wasn't really him. And I see the same thing happen with the Eagles. Like, they got rid of coaching. It's like, no, it wasn't a coaching thing. Like, it was a whole, like – the whole gelling of the the team and the teammates like the leadership just needed a little bit of tweaking and you know you had to get rid of some people too but they kind of like cut the head off when it was really like they were having like stomach problems kind of like how i like to <laughs> kind of yeah. analogy a good analogy 
Because it's like, no, you don't do that when the stomach is messed up. You have to fix the stomach. And then, well, I mean, they they transplant they transplant that stomach because Carson Wentz was a walking match unit. I like, he put he, he gave he gave. I know the doctors of Philadelphia are sad that he got sent out um, because he was guaranteed bank. Like I got sneezed on by the defense. Listen, so let me tell you, I really I think. I think now that stuff is coming out that, you know, him and Doug Peterson were not even talking for like weeks. I think somebody slept with somebody or somebody did something like this, you know, something happened off the field that was like really, really personal between them two. I don't know exactly, but like, that's what it kind of sounds like. It kind of sounds like when um, you remember in Cleveland, when like uh, LeBron James teammate slept with his mom and that like sent the whole team down a whole little spiral. You remember yeah, that? Yeah, I remember that. Who was that? What was his name? Um, Delonte West. Yes, Delonte West. Right. And so the, the chemistry was off. And that's exactly what it felt like in Philadelphia. It was just like the chem- like some somebody did. It's not the whole team, but like somebody did something and it just kind of got you know, the key players involved just kind of, like, not gelling very well. I mean, hopefully Carson Wentz didn't get... I completely I forgot with... about that situation. <laughs> I, mean, I would hope that Carson Wentz did not get into a relationship with Doug Peterson's mom. I mean, you don't know people? Because I mean, you would have thought Delonte West would have did that either, right? Like, you would have, like, what? Like, when that news came, I'm like, what is going on? Like, that's I don't so... know. I... I don't know that I've seen LeBron's mom. Like, I mean, she's pretty. I mean, but like, okay, cause, cause, okay, because to 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 add a layer to that, I understand that like my at the time, my cousin and her husband worked me sports media relations and public relations for the Cleveland Cavaliers during that time. They got so we got to know LeBron's mom and them on a separate level, a different level than the average citizen. She was a nice woman. I don't know how I said she was nice. I didn't say that she was you didn't take a run at her? Oh no. No. Nah, She's like, a MILF. She's a MILF. I mean like, you know like I don't know. I mean I mean that, that you know what that would be like you see, see I, I understand like let's put this way as a guy you don't want one of your guys like trying to like you know talk to your mom. I know. I or like, know. you know, Jay's 15, what about when trying try to talk to one of his teachers? <laughs> Jay. I know, right? Like, <laughs> I mean these, these, That'd be awkward, these cougars, right? Cougars, these cougars are out here and they're ready to rock and roll. So. <laughs> Jay, how your teachers look? I'm gonna leave. <laughs> Actually, most of it. Well, that's not gonna do me much good, buddy. <laughs> so, Crystal, what brought you down to Houston? So, I moved to uh, Texas. I moved to San Antonio after I graduated from Bowling Green because uh, my parents moving down here to retire. So, I was like, sure. Like, I'm starting a whole new chapter of my life. Why not? being a whole different part of the country. And so I was in San Antonio first, and then I kind of got tired of the scene there. And then uh, a job opportunity in Houston presented itself, so I moved there. I just really kind of fell in love with the diversity because that was one of the things that was really lacking in San Antonio was diversity. It was just kind of pathetic. (laughs) So when I moved to Houston, I was like, I loved it. Like, I was just like I was in the zone. And so I just love the city. Um, I just wish it could be, I guess, now, like, in a different place. Because it just seems almost like it's, you almost feel like you're not in Texas. Like, it's just so diverse and, like, 
just a little bit more quote unquote liberal than a lot of the other places. But I, I love Houston. Um, their sports teams need a little bit of help. Astros did okay. <laughs> they did okay till they got caught cheating and all that stuff. But yeah, I just I just like it. The the people mostly because in Houston, you want to make sure the only buffet we go to is the Golden Corral. <laughs> I don't even go to buffet, but you know, I had stopped going to buffets before, before COVID. I had really stopped doing buffets because I had a bad experience. So I was just not really into to go and corral anymore. I mean, I don't blame you. And I, I don't know why that's the one he would pick to go to. <laughs> I know. I thought he was going to say something else. Like, <laughs> something a little bit like, Go to the, the, the buffets that just, like, go to the buffet. Oh God, not back to the <laughs> James Harden. Oh, no. oh my gosh! I think um I think I think the Rockets are better without him though. They are. So I, I think long term they definitely are. Long term and short term, I mean, because that man was just a well, as freely as he was living, he was passing around illnesses left and right, like <laughs> like yeah. a flowers passing around flowers, you know. Playing. You so know. In, in the interest of me being able to. to edit certain things, namely Elliot's fascination with uh, James Harden and strip club buffets. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, you know one thing about Houston I think is is the quality of talent in the film department in the film market. I think um, it is a very slept on market. Like when people think of film in Texas, they'll say like Austin and maybe Dallas, but Houston hardly ever comes into the conversation. And like literally, and I'm not even just saying this because I lived in Houston, I have met more talented actors here in Houston than I have like anywhere else. Like I've done films like in Dallas and San Antonio um, and Austin. And I can literally say like the pool of talent here, to me, I have been able to find you know, like even on Craigslist, like the people that respond on there, like even on stuff that's not even like reputable acting, casting type sites. Um, I'm like, wow, you are really good. And so I do just want to kind of throw that out there. You know, Elliot is is there. I don't know how much, um, you know, acting, you know, he wants to do in the future or whatever. But I will do a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, please hire me more. <laughs> yes. Like you can, like you got me. Okay, cool. And that's the thing too. Like you, you find a lot of good actors that you can continue to work with. Like there's quite a few actors that like I bring them into all of my projects. Like there's people who worked on Evander who I work with them on my very first film that I did in Houston because. They're just that good and they're just that reliable. And so I just wanted to mention that because it's it's just nice to have a good pool of actors to to choose from. Well, I, I do appreciate the patience that you had with me. Because <laughs> you actually didn't do that bad. You didn't do bad. Like people are so actors are so funny. They're so funny to me. So they're like, oh my gosh, can we do it again? Like I feel like that. And I'm like, no, it actually looked good. And they're like, no. And then I'm like, okay, we'll do it again. And then the times that they did it over again when I was like, nah, we're good, are the worst takes a lot of times. <laughs> I'm like, you were trying too hard. Like, it's not, like, just trust me. I got you, man. 
But okay, I appreciate that. What I'm saying is though, see, because that was the fr- that was the first acting anything that I had ever done. And that's good. And I've worked with a lot of not just in Houston, but in Texas uh, in general. I worked with a lot of first time actors, and they do very well. The ones that I've worked with, it's it's very interesting because most people don't have that type of experience with like first time actors. It's like a lot of prep. You have to do a lot of rehearsal to kind of get them together, um, but you know, and it may just be I just cast them for roles that I just feel like they fit already. And that's usually what I kind of do anyway. It's like I'll look at people in casting um, auditions and stuff like that. And I'll be like, mm, they have a good look for or a good personality for, you know, X, Y, and Z. And then I'll cast them as such. And then most times it works out. So that's yeah. a really cool way to go about it, too, is inexperience. It allows you to mold them, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's funny because um, the lady, I don't know if you remember Elliot, that played the um, the news reporter on the TV. Um, yeah. The first time I worked with her was like in 2016. She had never did anything. And I cast her as a mom for this, uh, it was like a Christian drama. Mm-hmm. And she was like, Crystal, after that, I was like, I didn't even know I really liked acting like that. But like, you just kind of gave me that inspiration to keep doing stuff. And so like probably a few years later, um, she invited me to one of her uh, the screenings for another film that she had worked on. It was a pretty, um, you know, I will say at least like a, a mid-sized production, very good production value. And I was like so proud of her. I was like, girl, you did it. You know, like you didn't even think that she was really like into acting, but like now she cannot get enough of it. We're actually, we're working on a project uh, because now she wants to get into writing. So like, she's just all about film, like period. It's like, I'll act in it, you know, I'll write some stuff. And so we're working together on um, a black female Western film, which I think is a genre that like literally does not really exist. So... (laughs) That's really cool. So, so I'm super excited about this. So she came up with the idea because she was working with the lady uh, previously on something similar. And then, I don't know, the lady kind of, you know, did some shady stuff and like uh, had someone else kind of like rewrite the stuff that she did and like didn't say anything about it. So it was just like a lot of shady stuff going on. And so she was like, Chris, I still want to do something like that. And so I was like, okay, let's do it. So we just kind of came up with a good plot. And so... um I'm kind of writing the the first part of it, and then she's gonna write the the second part. So, are you gonna have any male roles in that film? We sure will, and we sure will need some. So, um, absolutely, we need a little bit of everybody for this one. So, um, anybody who wants to act, I, I nominate <laughs> Elliot for guy who gets shot. <laughs> I want to. I want to see him do. I want to do. I want to see him do up that scene. You know, like, okay, we're nominating people. I nominate my son for the action role. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's, the one, he's the, like, look, the boy has trained in multiple fight disciplines and is in shape. Yeah, <laughs> oh, geez. Okay, okay, so, we can work with this. We can work with this. Yeah, for real. Okay. <laughs> So what what got you into film? I always liked to write. So like even when I was a kid, I remember like in like probably like first or second grade, you know how they'll give you that lined paper where you can kind of practice your your letters and stuff and whatever. And they had two types. So the one that had like the little space at the top where you could draw a picture and then like write stuff underneath it. Mm -hmm. And most of the kids would get that one. But then they had this other paper, which is like all lines. 
And so I was like, I want the one with all lines because I just liked writing. Um, I had some good teachers for writing anyway, but I just always liked to write like stories. Like I just always saw things as a story. Um, and I was always kind of like, ooh, what if this happened? <laughs> you know, and so I just kind of coming up with just ridiculous scenarios. So I've always had fun doing that. And so when I went to Bowling Green, I had started um, kind of like trying to be basically like a, in, in the telecommunications doing screenwriting. And then the advisor was like, well, you can also take these film courses, you know, they'll help, you know, fulfill the general requirements for that major. And then when I took a film course, I was like, oh, like I can actually make these movies. Like I can take my scripts and stuff and turn them into like films. And so after I kind of realized that it was pretty much, that was the end. Like I loved film from then on um, because we didn't watch movies that much when I was a kid because like, I don't know, my family was kind of weird about like watching movies all the time. <laughs> so Like we could watch Disney movies occasionally but that was it. And so I wasn't really like a person who was just like all into movies. Um, when I was a kid, but after I realized that I could take a script and translate it to screen, that's when I was like, I love doing this and just love doing it ever since. So that's really how I got into it. it was Bowling Green. Bowling Green uh, brought that out of me. That's right, Falcons. <laughs> Forever, Falcon. And it was crazy because Bowling Green, even at that time when I was there in 2004, they were like the only school in the state that actually had like a program where you actually shot on real film. It wasn't just like digital cameras. And so that was something that was just like amazing to me, just kind of learning that whole process because it's it's similar, but it's way different. And I'm just thankful that I got that type of education because it teaches you a little bit more discipline in your shooting, doing things for quality instead of quantity and just you know learning how to manage your your production when you're kind of um yeah, tight imagine, on resources i'd imagine editing is much more difficult when and you very more difficult which is why you have to manage it right you're not like oh i can just keep shooting film forever and ever like no you need to get what you need and then be done <laughs> and so yeah so we um and i appreciate that like it was very difficult like you said like we were working on the, the steam vac they ha had there and it literally you're like cutting, literally cutting and then like taping film together. And that process was like too much. <laughs> 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 but it was good because it really, like I said, it just teaches you to be appreciative for the technology that you have, but then also like, you know, how to be more efficient in what you're doing so that, you know, you're not creating more work for yourself. You're, you're getting the stuff that you really need. So I, I do appreciate mm -hmm. that. So, yeah. Did you and Elliot meet at Bowling Green? Was it, uh, we miss each other? I think we just missed each oh, other. Well, yeah, right. I, I, think I, <laughs> I think at BGSU in 2002. Yeah, I was still in, I was still yeah. in Bowling Green uh -huh. through yeah. 2004, but I was done with BGSU by 2002. So. Uh, we missed each other by two years. And I promise, I think I've seen him like literally either on campus or somewhere before. Cause like when, uh, when you did the audition or something, I was like, uh, he has a familiar face, but I see a lot of people have familiar faces, but like, usually it's either they look like someone I do know for real, or like, I literally have seen them before. Well, cause like, <laughs> so, cause what, what I was doing at BJSU, you, you, you and I might have 
prospect. Like, because like, and I did play, I did continue like to do stuff on student center, but um, because uh, uh, I was open to the the public into for alumni. But then I um, I had for before I graduated, I was part of the BGSU newspaper. I was a columnist, so mm-hmm. I had written lots of articles right. and stuff like that. So and they they had continued to use my stuff after, even after I had graduated because I had put a lot of a lot out there that 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 might have been how that happened right. but yeah we literally just missed each other so it was it was kind of crazy um but you're you'll be surprised i think we were talking about this Elliot. how like you'll find these bg alumni all over the place and you're like what you're oh, all yeah. the way down here or you're all the way here so yeah <laughs> all over the place have you been doing the screenings of um evander the whole month i have been um I really need, and, it, and it's been going okay, but I really need someone to kind of like take over the, the marketing part of it because it's like, because I'm doing several projects at once, um, it's a little bit like trying to manage everything has been a little bit overwhelming and then like having a whole week basically gone uh, because of power outages that was like stressing me out too. But yeah, so we're, we're doing screening for the whole month of um, February for Black History Month. That was like a little marketing, uh, you know, theme or whatever. And um, I've also been looking um, to kind of move beyond just uh, Amazon for distribution. Because Amazon, that darn Jeff Bezos, they don't pay you enough for like the audience that you bring in, which is something they did on purpose because when I first uh, got Amanda on there, they kept kind of delaying the approval process of it until like the new year or whatever, because they were doing like the different pay scale after the new year. And so I think they were doing that on purpose, kind of delaying stuff. Uh, for that reason but you know it's it's good to really just kind of get people to watch it um at this point um I'm really trying to use it to uh raise money for for part two so people know like hey we're literally doing something like when you you know donate money to us or if you want to invest in this like this is something that's going to actually happen we've made it happen for you know low budget uh costs because you know like i said bg taught me a lot about you know managing your production and being more efficient with you know the resources that you have and so um it's been nice to have something when you're pitching to people to come on board to actually have something they can watch so you know with with women's history month coming up in march have you uh, thought about like running it back and in, in doing the promotion doing, doing it for that yeah, that's definitely. the idea i hadn't thought about that but yeah i definitely can make that happen as well because the the um the screening that we've been doing hasn't been through amazon it's through another uh, uh online platform called eventive which basically all of the film festivals have moved to this platform um because you know with COVID, everything is virtual mm-hmm. um and so that's actually how i heard about it because uh, um a film festival that uh, one of my other films had gotten into I um, was using that and I was like oh this is kind of cool we should do this for you know our own stuff because basically like you create your own virtual theater mm-hmm. um and so I just thought that was 
um, brilliant. So I was like, yes, we need to to use this. But that is a that is a good idea. I think I will um, look into to doing that. And I have been working with um, Angela uh, Elliot on some of the stuff, trying to get uh, more awareness out there. So, man, because yeah. like, because you know, not only are you, uh, you know, being a woman, I mean, you're a woman director. You're from Houston. You're in the fourth largest city in the United States, obviously there's a ton of media to make to, to make use of. You know, while I'm at it, let's just, let's just put it out there. What if people want to go and screen this screen of Ander, where would they go? Um, you can basically go to either my Facebook or you can actually go to a, a Vander's Facebook page. It's there and it's uh probably the last post that we've put up. Um, is for the uh, the virtual screening uh, that we're having for Black History Month. And then you can also find that on my Instagram, which is uh, Crystal B, just the letter B, filming. And you can find information about that because that's one of the last things that I posted as well. So yeah, you can find it um, through those avenues or you can also go to theavanderfilm.com and there's a link there as well so it's all over the place we just need more and more people and one of the things that um i really want to do is get more opportunities for uh first time uh actors first time filmmakers uh filmmakers of color to get more opportunities to actually be on a film project um and Ellie, you may or may not have known this, but um, a lot of people who were crew, they were um, students kind of like learning and doing at the same time. Mm -hmm. So um, I really like doing that because they're usually my students from my, my class that I teach at Lone Star. Mm -hmm. And I love doing that because it's a great way to really make a class real for students because I think that's where um, education kind of falls flat for a lot of students is that it's textbook information that you don't feel is applicable outside of the class. And so to give students that real experience with the information that they're learning in class is like priceless. So um, we're actually trying to get a whole um, nonprofit organization together where literally that's all we do is, you know, create opportunities for people to engage in the craft of whatever it is that they're learning not even just for filmmaking but you know maybe um you know someone who is studying marketing you know saying getting them opportunities where they can literally go out and do a real marketing campaign or work on a real marketing campaign to really kind of solidify those concepts that they're learning in class so yeah so what do you, what do you think the the biggest hurdles to getting started are Honestly, um, the biggest hurdle is usually yourself. And that's something that I think um, as I've been kind of stepping outside of my comfort zone, doing different things, um, stepping from behind the camera and having to do a lot of stuff um, is really that you're like, oh, my gosh, what if I do this wrong? What if I do that wrong? Whatever the case may be. But once you kind of get over yourself and those little insecurities that you have, like literally you can do anything um i've had to do and have actually had some success and stuff that i never had an interest in had never even thought about um and at first it is very overwhelming but once you can kind of settle yourself down and just like you know i'm gonna do the best i can and then you know just let the chips fall where it may 
um, a lot of times you'll see different doors open up or you'll be introduced to somebody who's exactly who you need to help you through the process. So um, that's usually the biggest hurdle is literally ourselves. So yeah, we just have to get over ourselves and just do it. How, how have you changed as a director now as a result as um, compared to how you were when you got started? What was the big difference between you now versus you then? Definitely just education and experience. So like I just um, finished up my MFA in digital cinema because um, I wanted to kind of teach beyond Lone Star um, and teach at an actual university. And so with Lone Star, you can teach with uh, bachelors, but um, I wanted to kind of go beyond and just kind of learn more. And so through that, like I see again how I can be more efficient in my directing and just the whole managing of, you know, a production. And then also, I think I'm better able to cast who best fits the role. Like, I, I've, I've, I've been a fairly decent, like, casting director, um, and that's because I had worked with a really good one, uh, particularly, like, when I was in San Antonio, was, you know, first getting into the film industry here in Texas. I worked with a really really good casting director named uh, Susie Rodatus and uh, she just passed away last year but um, she was so good and I remember just kind of like just soaking up her her knowledge and so you know I'll see myself you know making casting decisions based off of stuff that I've heard her say before so um, just you know that experience of working with people who are better than you um doing whatever you know area of filmmaking it is and then just kind of soaking all that knowledge up so i think at first um you kind of think you know everything or you can do everything or whatever and then as you grow you learn how to build a team that you know kind of works like a well-oiled machine to to get the job done so i think those are the main things. I think my writing has gotten better and the writing is just like that. Um, well, actually everything is like that. The more you do it, the better you get at it. So I've just been doing a lot more of that. So I think that's mostly has what's changed. It's just like my knowledge um, and understanding of, of filmmaking. I definitely feel that. I, you know, I, I ended up doing all the production and stuff for the podcast. So Mm-hmm. How I, long have you guys been doing this podcast? We've only been at it for two months. Okay. okay. We started in December. Um, I saw you have a podcast, Marginalize. Yes. So, again, it's kind of like my, my thing. We, I can kind of vent. I've, um, you know, it's just so much stuff going on. Like, you just need an outlet so you don't literally go crazy. So, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of like a combination of that. But we do have uh, guests and stuff on the show to kind of talk about, uh, you know, different things as well. Um, but, yeah, podcasting is where it's at. I mean, it's a booming industry. It's kind of like film where it's like everybody's wanting to do a podcast. Everybody's wanting to do a film. Um, and so it's, you know, really a matter of just getting listeners, you know what I mean? And just kind of marketing it to get people to, to see that you're out there. Definitely. And um, um, I watched I watched Evander again this morning and I had not, I, I didn't realize how much I had forgotten from watching it, what was it, last year mm-hmm. when it first mm-hmm. got released. Um, but the themes are crazy relatable with the grief and the uh, anger and all that, the general premise I thought was, was really interesting. And I saw that it was 
what it was inspired by was a one in four children being abused and the two percent of offenders being prosecuted. Mm-hmm. How'd you come across that? So, uh, first of all, thank you for watching the film twice. It's great. Um, we love people like you. <laughs> but um, that it was it was interesting how I came across because I was actually teaching high school at the time. I was teaching in San Antonio. And um, I can't, I don't even know how I came across this article, but I was at my desk and it kind of popped up and I was reading it and I was like blown away. Like, what are you, like, I had never even really thought about um, the epidemic of, you know, sexual abuse towards children. And even though like I had several friends who had been sexually abused, I thought that was just kind of like, an anomaly like that didn't happen to everybody just you know happened to happen to these people um but once I read that article I was like oh my gosh like even just looking at my classroom I was like oh my gosh there's probably like 10 people in here who this has happened to but you know they don't say anything nothing happens to the perpetrator and it just kind of made me angry and you know being someone who likes superheroes and stuff like that i was just thinking, like man if we just had a superhero that would just kill all of these these predators it would just be great <laughs> so that's like where the whole idea came but i didn't start writing it until after trump started running for office like that, that idea was there but then when all that stuff started coming out with him like the access hollywood and he was talking about he would date his daughter and like it was just all this stuff i'm like oh my gosh like i need to write this movie because <laughs> these people these people are out here running for president you know and so um i started writing it and then um when i finished it i wasn't sure if i was actually going to because i had another uh movie that I, um was working on um which i was kind of referring to with uh the lady who played the the news anchor in a fander um and so i did do that one first but you know that one was kind of like my passion project um and it was a situation where we didn't have all the resources that i wanted and so you know when you're in that situation you're kind of like well should i do it at all because you know you don't have everything that you quote unquote need because a lot of times what you want and what you really need are kind of different and so I was like I just have to do it because it's I just have to do it and so um that's really how it all kind of came about and I I did pray about it and I was like I just want to make it happen and it was it was crazy because I literally went through probably like four Evanders um because I cast one and then I went in work I cast another one and then he started acting kind of weird um, and then I guess another one, and then he kind of was flaky too. And then finally I asked the lady who I had cast as his wife, uh, Brandy, and I was like, girl, like I'm having the worst time finding an Evander for this. And it's like, I don't even think we're going to be able to do the movie. And so she was like, well, I asked, I was like, do you know anybody who's like an actor that could possibly do this? And she was like, um, well... I know this one guy who uh he had played my husband in like a commercial and so i was like well send me his stuff and so um he didn't really have a look i was looking for but i like kind of was like well let me just see what his audition looks like and he did very well and i cast him based on the scene because i had him uh do an audition of the scene where him and his wife kind of have their 
heart to heart where she's like, I just can't really be here anymore. And he did so well with that. I was like, well, he doesn't have to look, but he definitely had the emotion, you know? And so that was pretty much how it happened. And so, um, and he was like, <laughs> I was like, um, for this role, like, you know how superheroes are usually like in, in hella good shape. And he was like, well, you know, I don't know if I'm be able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. I was like, okay, okay. I was like, well, this is the, you know what I'm saying? The, the origin story, you know what I'm saying? It's the beginning, um, mostly, you know, before he becomes, you know, a vendor for real. And so I was like, okay, we could probably let it slide a little bit, but like for chapter two, like we got to get serious. So, so yeah so he has been kind of working out um it's 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 hard out here especially with all this you know drama and pandemic where you can't really go to the gym or I me mean, can't go to the gym i guess but you know it's just kind of crazy time so did you uh did you share with him that when you and i did that our interview back in um january it t- in the, we talked about a certain uh, diet regimen that right yeah yeah and you didn't send me the diet though send it to me please i will i was seeing something um that, that randy jackson is doing um uh, somebody kept sharing it where he's like but he kind of awesome. though he got, he got gastric and, bypass on top of that and that's yeah, <laughs> on top yeah true <laughs> true well, so when, that's, you, when you can only eat two bites at a time i mean you're gonna lose weight <laughs> <laughs> I know, like lettuce and water, but ice cream. Oh. That's basically what he can eat. Um, oh. I like, and I'm not making fun of him. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. That that sounds like torture. It so. does, man. Like literally, when I was trying to do this diet, because I was like, um, I found uh basically a trainer for mm-hmm. um for myself, but then I was like, yeah, I might have to have you train my my actor too. And he gave me the diet, and I was like, I don't even think I can do this because it was like. Everything had a no, a no next to it. It was like butter, no, it was like bacon, no, it was like uh, you can only do boiled eggs. And I'm like, what? Like this is too much. I can't let go of the bacon. Like that's just an absolute non-negotiable. Makes you appreciate, <laughs> makes you appreciate the Avengers even more, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Skin tight leather outfits with like, oh my god! But they had to give up to make that so, happen. I mean, yes, it's crazy. So it's funny you mentioned about about Jason not kind of fitting the normal superhero body type because that was actually something I was going to bring up as a relatable thing. I mean, mm-hmm. he's very much kind of got a dad look. Yep. <laughs> and Jason, please don't be offended if you're listening to this because I've got like the I ate a dad look. Um, but I thought I thought that was another one of those relatable things, like, you know, because in in a situation like that, you know, the odds that the guy that his daughter's the victim of this, the odds that he's gonna be looking like Chris Hemsworth is right pretty slim. Right. And so it definitely made sense within the context of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, when you're going through stuff like that, like, you get even fatter or more unhealthy because it's, like, it's a whole thing where your your body is, like, going through a whole stress within itself, you know, because of the 
the emotional stress, it starts to manifest in your body. So yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, I mean, we've all found solace in carbs during COVID. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Brian, Brian has made a point of teasing me on plenty of the podcasts about, I, I, I literally lost myself. you know that's what happens sometimes you just lose themselves and you're like who are you well elliot (laughs) lost one of himself yeah because i I, I was i was watching it i I was watching the you know uh again and it was like Man, it's like night, night and day between what I look like. At the I mean, but you had the lab coat on though, so like but I don't feel like it's though. that diff. Your head, you said. <laughs> you might have to get a massage, smaller lab coat for the sequel. <laughs> Man, <you're laughs> I'm gonna have to get a new lab coat anyway because we actually messed that lab coat up doing a horror film, um, oh, like nice. a whole bloody situation where somebody got killed, and I thought. The stuff it what it does usually uh, wash out, but I think what I did I didn't wash it right away because like it was in the back of my my van and mm-hmm. I forgot about it and I was like oh yeah let me wash this and then those little stains were not coming out um they had pretty much just yeah it'd be a bad look for a coroner to have bloodstained lab coat <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Like I yeah. said, there's a couple of different directions I've been thinking about going with this old coroner, actually, where he's Because, like, what if the coroner is actually one of the villains? That's what I was saying. Don't give away the plot, though. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> I, I did write really big on my notes. No Avenger or no Avenger spoilers. <laughs> you want to try and push people to watch it. Um, yes. So. I will say, I, will say I, got a, I got a funny dis- disclosure, though. But the, the scene that you had me in, and in a, and we're sitting there, and we're over the the child, right? And the I I nearly I, I was doing my best. The scene that you took, I was literally about to bust out laughing. And <laughs> when the when the I was because see because here's the thing that you know this you know the song in bare naked ladies where that line where he goes, I'm the type of man that laughs at a funeral. You don't understand what I mean. You soon will like. I literally, oh, yeah, yeah. I, I literally, I have laughed at a funeral. In fact, I when I did, it was, it was, it was, it was a, it was an uncle, a great uncle, and my mom. It was so bad that my my mom had to literally like give me the keys to the car and take the rest of my cousins that were my cousins and my sister with me. Like y'all just need to go ahead and leave, leave, just leave. Really? The family was about to get at me. So. I mean, some funerals are funny because people give funny stories. So I mean, it depends on the context, I guess. Yeah, there's this this one was like a bore. You know, you know when 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 something goes past what you think it should have gone, like like this should be over with because the person is dead. And I like I was it, it was like that. I was like 19 or something like that. It was bad. I I walked all the way into that, and so here I am with the, in this in the scene and. I was good until the mom turned and looked at me with the expression on her face. And I was like, bite your tongue, bite your tongue. You've been wanting to do this, bite your tongue, but you blow this. Common sense was sitting there like, don't do it. Don't you do it. Don't you do it. Don't you. Well, and that's the whole time. So like, I'm literally, what I'm trying to tell when I, I finally get to the point that I'm talking, I like, I have bitten my tongue raw. 
<laughs> so that way I can like focus on the just focus on the child. Well, you know, if you if you I mean, um, those who've watched the movie uh more than once, they may kind of notice like how your expression was when you were talking like um, you know, she uh was also sexually assaulted. That's there there was like uh the like <laughs> the expression on your face does kind of reflect what you just said, even though I had I didn't know that particularly, but <laughs> those little things those are little breadcrumbs right to lead to the corner knows more than what you think he does like just from these little expressions uh-huh. you know what i mean and so um yeah so it's little things like that that i like and that's one of the things i've also learned um as a filmmaker that i've kind of grown into is to kind of like put little small breadcrumbs throughout the film to kind of give the audience little hints um, and those things are, uh, I don't know, it just, it just makes your film just a little bit more, I guess, sophisticated, but I think it also shows like the growth or maturity of the filmmaker. Because most people when they first start off doing film, like they're just telling and showing the audience everything. Um, and there's no real, uh, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> thought process that goes into like the plot or this could have been, what was this or what if or whatever. And so now um, I like to give the audience just enough to kind of pique their curiosity um, or just like I said, those little breadcrumbs just to kind of give them a hint. And then you kind of go, you know, a direction that they probably weren't thinking it was going to go. Well, now I need to watch it a third time. Watch it again. (laughs) (laughs) I'll I'll keep watching. I'll get you some Amazon money, a nickel at a time. Yes, a nickel at a, literally a nickel at a time. These people, Jeff Bezos is a terrible person. I just cannot stand it. So but, is, there, is there any possibility that Evander might show up on a Netflix? Um, well, the only thing with it, it can, but we have to be feature feature film length. So like it would have to be at least 90 minutes, which once we get into chapter two, easily we'll be able to to reach that point and then being able to merge the two projects um would be good but I, as i was telling you before um this can go on forever so it's almost like it's a series but then it's not a series but then it's a film it's this um but yeah so for netflix absolutely it's possible and that's what i've been kind of working on um in the background too is trying to um create context with these, um, you know, Netflix uh, sales agents, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, who are looking for films uh, for the platform. Um, And so there's a couple of people who I have met that, uh, you know, they kind of let me know like, yeah, it needs to be longer because they don't do like short films on Netflix. So um, yeah, we're we're trying to get there. And actually, it's on my vision board, too, that we're going to be on Netflix. So that's definitely going to happen because everything you put on the vision board happens at some point. So, I mean, yes. 38-minute runtime. I mean, that's almost perfect. It's almost for, there, right? Yeah. Well, that's almost perfect for a TV episode. And that's a, I mean, mm-hmm. the that version is definitely, like, kind of pilot. <clears throat> and actually, there is, there is a series on Netflix where there's it's episodic, but each episode is about thirty to thirty-five minutes. And Cobra Kai is like that too, which I love yeah. it. I love those that are only thirty minutes because it's like 
it, you don't feel like you've like literally wasted a whole day when you binge it. You know what I'm saying? Like you're just getting a little <laughs> bit more content for your time. Um, Cause it's a lot of stuff that I haven't finished. Like I still haven't finished like Bridgerton and stuff like that because it's like, I don't have a whole hour mm-hmm. um, all the time. Um, and like trying to binge that is literally a whole day, which, you know, as we already have talked about, like so much stuff going on, I literally don't have that time. Yeah, right. As as long as as <laughs> look, if there's a winter storm out that's keeping you inside, that's I know. And I was, and, and, but the power was out, right? I, that perfect time would have been to do that, right? You can't even do that. I was like, this is the worst type of situation. Like, there's literally nothing to pass the time. Right. Um, except for the little bit of sales signal that I had. And sometimes that wouldn't even work. You know, like I was surprised I was able to get that podcast episode up mm-hmm. um, <laughs> using that hot spot. So, yeah, it was crazy. So, so, Brian, are you looking to act? Are you um, thinking that you could be an actor? Because I was like, he could probably be good in like a comedy. You seem like someone who would be like in maybe a rom-com or something. He has serious chops. He won't brag on himself, but let me tell you. I've got a face for radio. I'll just say that. <laughs> okay. Look, if, if you were to go go to this podcast and none of those things, there's a series that we're doing called What's Ellie. the name of his podcast? The, the, the name of this the name of the podcast is this podcast is none of those things. And on the we have a Facebook page. And on there there's a series called Elliot Eats. He we did a we recently did a thing called uh we did at uh Elliot Eats at this Italian spot in Houston called Piatas, which is Italian street food, right? And you get to see him and our dialogue. And it's just like, the man has serious chops. <laughs> he can talk. He actually speaks more than one language. And oh, then, really? Which yeah. languages? French. Well, so yeah, and Elliot and I met 21 years ago at my very first class, freshman year at Pitt, French class at nine o'clock in the morning and we happened to sit beside each other. Here we are 20 years later doing uh doing a podcast. <laughs> right. See, and and so like the and and we and so the interplay in Dallas, that's how I got to know stuff about him. Chemist do you know that's also a DJ? How many DJs do you know that's also a chemist? There's so a like 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 breaking bad type chemist? No, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I will never get him. Never, I will never ask that question. <laughs> uh, I am a I am a refinery chemist. Oh, okay. But but like I said, but but for him, he's oh he's he has multiple layers to him that just make him mm-hmm. just adapt to any type of situation and always has something to contribute to any type of conversation. And, you know, and that's the one thing that I will say after twenty years that I have really come to respect about him is that he doesn't. You don't have to wear a mask, and like so, you talk about a literal mask or like like figuratively. <laughs> well, no, no. So here's the thing: I'm, I'm a chemist. I'm all on board for science. Masks save lives. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. 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 We're, 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 we're talking about the COVID mask, not the uh, Batman masks. <laughs> you know, or the bank robber masks or something like that. Even though nowadays it seems like that may be one and the same. But what I'm saying is though, like. Figuratively, uh, you don't. He's he's as real as they. Brian is as, is as real as they come, and that's where he that expectation comes in with when you interact with him. Anything that he does, even like I can see him doing you know rom com to being like that. Okay, you know what's the CSI the the uh, not CSI 
uh, 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 what's the one? Seaside Vegas, the original one, right? Um, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, and you remember that? Okay, did I say the corner that was in there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That go go. Yeah. Brian, I've seen lately. I can literally see him. (laughs) He's 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 that that honest, down to earth guy on the flip side, but then he also has the gift of gab. So this has gone in a strange direction on Elliot promoting me, and I'm trying to promote. <laughs> I mean, we're trying to promote everybody. We're trying to get everybody their shine, their, their right? shot. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh yeah. And I mean, the thing is, is that people, filmmakers, um, especially, are always looking for new, fresh talent. Like that's like a thing where it's like they want the new, fresh people that have not been in anything but have the skill to be in something. You know, something that's moving or whatever. And so, you know, that's why I'm always, I'm always asking people if they're actors, like all the time, like, oh, have you been in something? Oh, no, I haven't. Oh, have you wanted to? You know, I was kind of like prodding because you never know. You literally never know. Like I've had, like I told you guys before, people who first time acting in anything and people watch the film and they're like, really? They haven't been acting in anything. And I'm like, no, like this person, I thought they were lying too. because <laughs> you know, like, uh, we just did a film um, and it just got accepted to a film festival and this it was a a guy who i who is a really strong actor so i was like well she's a first because that's that's one of the things that i'll try to do too like if it's a first time actor i'll try to pair them with someone who's a strong actor to kind of help you know what i'm saying boost the performance um and so he the guy was a way is that a doggy in the back oh mm-hmm. hi little baby yeah, say hello. Come here. Oh, he's wagging his tail. Hi. The fourth member of our of our podcast team. <laughs> what is his name? Her name's Patty. Oh, it's her. Hi, Patty. Yep. Okay, Patty. Come here, baby girl. <laughs> so cute. Even her though I can't little... see, I can't see what what kind of dog she is, but she's cute she even is... in her shadow. Oh, come here, Patty. Come say hello. Hello, Patty. She is um, best. Hey, Patty Cakes. She is a Beagle Dachshund mix. I knew she had some dots that I could tell a little bit from her shadow. I was like, I don't know what kind of dog, but. Her little buddy here from next door, he's been hanging out. This is Toro. Hi, Toro. Oh, do you hear? He's like, what is it? Where's it coming from? He, he actually has been, so Toro, he's an outside dog. Mm-hmm. So he's been living here for a week because it was too cold for right, outside right, dogs. Right, right, yeah. And my neighbors, they're just, they just weren't really set up to have him inside. And so I told him, I said, I'll keep him in, you know. So he's going to go home tonight, though, because it's not going to be too cold. Yeah, I heard some stuff about people leaving their pets out, and I was very angry. And I was very yeah. angry at Ted Cruz with that poodle being left at home. I was like, this oh, guy just... He left his dog at home? Yes. He's like the worst person I've ever seen. Oh, uh, I was... You know... <laughs> I was I was giving Ted Cruz a pass because I was like, we've got enough politicians blowing hot air. Like, go ahead. Go to Cancun. Get out of the way. Unless you're going to turn a wrench, you're not worth anything right now. But now that you told me he left his dog at home to freeze... Man. That was oh. like the last straw for me. Like he was Where's already my, on my hit list. I need my torch and pitchfork. 
I'm telling people have already been in his house like protesting and going crazy. So I'm sure you cannot play with dogs around here. Like if you're not treating dogs right, you will get like, right? crucified. <laughs> so <laughs> yes. But yeah, I like first time actors. I think they're good because a lot of times they're better than what they think they are. And that has been the case a lot of times. So I would think, you know, there would be no no ego and kind of there's a little bit of being unsure. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, if you if you find something you want me to do, you just call me. <laughs> I think I've already found something for you. I told you I was working on this this Western, so I could definitely see you in that, honestly. He's well versed in guns. Uh, okay see i knew it right like i I always like i'm like always seeing the the actual character before the character's even there i'm like this would be the perfect person like he 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 literally took me and my son jay who you heard in the background to a gun range and that was the first time that i had that either one of us had ever fired a gun Mm -hmm. (laughs) how was that experience though it was it was really eye-opening it was fun I like it. What do you think, Jay? It was fun. Jay's a good shot. Elliot, not so much. Imagine the sequel for Jay. You're right. Like, like a like a tall booby. Getting ready to sniper in. Um, yeah, no, it was it, it it was fun going to the shooting range with these boys. Um, you ever been? I have been to the range, but I didn't shoot anything. I just was like observing. Yeah. Yeah, because like we were trying to get some sound effects, so I was just okay. kind of like there just for them to do <laughs> the shooting. It's a, and I I broke them in on what I was broken in on, and it was a bolt action twenty two rifle. Like, but yeah, I broke them in on the the nice easy one. There's a lot of people that go out and they get the ARs and they get all. You know, and it's like you can have just as much fun shooting a little plinker. I do have a, a BB gun that's like straight up, like Wyatt Earp style type like gun, and we had particularly got it for this um this project we're working on where this was like a cowboy in it, so um we got it for that. But this thing was huge, and like literally, like even just trying to like cock the hammer back and stuff was like a lot of effort. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, working a working a firearms a lot more effort than it looks like in the movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, pulling you know even something as simple as on a pistol pulling back the slide. You know, and I don't have any experience with prop guns, but I'd imagine they're very similar to yeah. the real thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the real expensive ones they are basically like the same thing as the real thing. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to part one of our interview with Crystal Bolden, writer and director of Evander. She does have a screening along with a Q&A coming up on February 28th. Check out our Facebook page for some details on that. Also, you can check out the evanderfilm.com and facebook.com slash evanderfilm. But like I said, we will have those links on our Facebook and Twitter. Definitely follow us at this, those on Twitter. And this podcast is none of those things on Facebook. We'll have part two of the interview coming up very soon. We'll see you then. <laughs>